0: The views and opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily express those held by this station or its advertisers and are strictly the opinions held by those contributing to the show. Welcome to the Eric Little High School Football Podcast, your home for news, discussion, and opinions about high school football in the Mid-Ohio Valley. And now, here's your host, Eric Little. Welcome inside the Eric Little High School Football Podcast on this episode 16. I am the namesake. Happy to have you once again this week. This is a high school football podcast about what else. High school football in the mid-Ohio Valley. Lots to talk about this week. A new poll question coming in. We have some interesting discussion on last week's poll question. But first, let's take a look at this week in the playoffs, this past week that's just happened. And St. Mary's, probably one of their better comebacks in, if not the last 25 years, quite possibly in program history. St. Mary's was down 14 points at the half last week to Cameron, a 20-14 score at the half that stunned me. I leaned over during the South game when I saw it come up on my social media and I showed my color commentator Garrett Furr. And we were both surprised by that score, or at least the double-digit deficit. I thought Cameron would give St. Mary's a game, but I didn't think it would be a double-digit deficit at any point like that for St. Mary's, at least. But down 14 at the half, St. Mary's ripped off 37 straight points, 37 unanswered to defeat Cameron, 51 to 28. It takes a team that buys in to make the changes and adjustments on both sides of the ball to do that. That's not an easy thing to do to come back from that kind of a hole. First of all, you have to have the maturity to not panic in a situation like that. When you're in a win-or-go-home game to keep your head about you and to dig in and do the work that it takes to come back in a must-win game. That's what St. Mary's did. In what is a recurring theme, St. Mary's got rushing touchdowns from four different players. They got two touchdowns, 126 yards on the ground from William Steele. Brandon Boron ran for a score, threw for a score. Richard Dornan ran for one, also had a pick six, a 93-yard interception return for touchdown. Kyle West with a score as well for St. Mary's. I feel like I'm leaving someone else out in there. But for the Blue Devils, they just dug in and got it going. And you have to like a team that's showing at the right time of the year that they can handle adversity. It's not an easy thing to do to come back from double digits down in the playoffs. Not many teams do it. Not many teams have to do it. But now St. Mary's is going to have some more adversity to deal with as they go on the road to face a higher seed of Pendleton County team. The one thing that you have to like about St. Mary's chances. In this game. This is not a program that's scared to go on the road to go play big playoff games. They've done that against East Hardy in recent years, and though you don't often have carryover on the field in terms of players that were in those games, you've got a coaching staff preparing these teams that knows how to do this, knows how to tell players during the week leading up to that game that, hey, it can be done. All you need to do is A, B, and C. But still, St. Mary's stayed alive with a great comeback win on Friday. Parkersburg South survived somewhat of a slow start, and they roared to life in the second quarter of the Patriots with 28 second seconds points on their way to a 47-13 win against South Charleston. They added to that lead with 13 in the third quarter to make it a laugh or late. Brandon Penn ran for three scores, threw touchdown passes to Dylan Day and Levi Rice. The 84-yarder from Rice was the backbreaker because that came at the start of the third quarter when South Charleston was still down 28-7. And if you're South Charleston and they didn't give up, you have to think that if you get another score there, it's 28-14 and there's still a good deal of football left to play. But it was how Parkersburg South scored. Brandon Penn fired up top on on third and 30 after it looked like South Charleston had South backed up on their opening drive of the second half. A bad snap put South in a third and 30 deep in their own end. Then Penn wound up, found Levi Rice over the top, had him at midfield by two steps, and Rice kept the two-step differential down the field as he won a foot race to the end zone, an 84-yard touchdown pass play, and that put South up 35-7. to So think about it this way. If you're South Charleston, you've got South at a third and 30 down early in the third quarter by just 21 points. I say just, but all things considered, at 21 points, that's still a score where if you do force a team to punt out of the end zone, like South Charleston was about to, then maybe something happens, a bad snap, you get a punt block and you've fallen out for a touchdown. A number of things could happen in that situation, or at the very least, you might get the ball back in decent field position. So you have to like your chances of getting back into the game, or at least getting the door cracked open a little wider, when you've got South backed up on a 3rd and 30. They not only convert the 3rd and 30, they score on the 3rd and 30. And all of a sudden, your 20-point deficit is now a 28 point point deficit, but it's how it came to be a 28-point deficit that made that so insurmountable. Not that South Charleston rolled over after that. They put up a touchdown late. They just didn't seem to have quite the spark and quite the life, and how could they? You really can't blame them at that point. That's a defense for Parkersburg South. who put together five sacks. They had 12 tackles for loss in the game, two interceptions, one from Penn and another from Cyrus Traw, a freshman who was targeted a lot in the South Charleston passing game, but Penn threw a couple of nicest balls on offense. He's thrown all season long. He is developing as a quarterback, and in the last few games this season, he has made a couple of the nicest throws we've seen him make ever as a quarterback. South has also outgained every opponent, so they get it done with a stingy defense, they get it done on offense. If it's not one guy, they've got a few different guys that can produce for Parkersburg South, with Penn being the cog, Penn being the guy they have to have at least as a distributor, if not as a distributor and a producer. Meanwhile, South Charleston's Romeo Dunham did not appear to be 100% healthy in the game. He came off the field limping early, tweaked his ankle, may have been a reaggravation of an older injury, but either way, Dunham wasn't at 100% by the time that I ended and appeared to be a decoy, by and large, by the end of the game. It was not a factor for South Charleston against Parkersburg South. So South moves on. They'll play Musselman this week. Speaking of the Applemen, PHS gave them a run for their money before they were one and done this year and a 48-29 loss to Musselman. They went somewhat more one-dimensional than they had been in a long time, with Braden Mason out and quarterback Michael Owen out. Starting quarterback Bryson Singer, he did get his share of pass attempts in. He was 8-21 of 21 throwing the ball, but Sanger got it done with his legs. 272 rushing yards for Sanger alone. The Big Reds racked up 425 yards of offense, so it wasn't a bad run for them two rushing scores, and for 272 yards, here's maybe the most impressive stat. Singer only had one touchdown, a 79-yarder. Matt Curry had two touchdown catches. Singer also connected with Carter King on a touchdown pass. So it seemed like early on, Musselman's strategy was to take Sam Potts out of the game as a receiver, and Parkersburg had answers for that, because Singer can run too, and like we said on last week's show, in the Parkersburg South game, PHS tried to develop tight end Matt Curry as a receiving option, and by and large, it didn't quite happen for or... The big reds until very very late in that South game, but it came on a little earlier here as Curry's touchdowns were in the first and second quarters respectively on passes from Singer. I feel like this is the story for the last three or four years for Parkersburg High School, a dinged up team that you had some big hopes for if you're a PHS fan, and all of a sudden it doesn't quite go the way you want it to. They get bounced in the first round. Musselman with a 48 to 29 win, so it's Musselman that comes this way this week to take on Parkersburg South in the state quarterfinals. Ritchie County got on the board with a solid win to start. Start their playoff run. The Rebels defeated South Harrison 40-6, second win of the season for Ritchie County over South Harrison, and believe it or not, this is Ritchie County's first ever playoff win at Chuck Schofield Stadium. Every other win that Ritchie County has had in the playoffs has come either on the road, notably a big win a few years ago at Summers County, or it's come when the Rebels have hosted on a neutral site. In 1994, the year the Rebels went all the way to the semifinals, they hosted two games at PHS's Stadium Field before Schofield Stadium was approved for the playoffs the following year. Either that or they just elected to play at Stadium Field for whatever reason. And it's also Richie County's first 10-win season since 1994. We've been talking about this for a little while, either privately or on our other programs or even on this show. Richie County is in some rare air. These are some heights this program has not hit in a while, and this is a team that we've seen for a long time out is capable of doing bigger things. And unlike PHS where they had their injuries that ended the seasons of a lot of the productive players, look at Braden Mason for instance, Richie County weathered injuries to Gus Morrison and Garrett Owens midseason, got Morrison back for the regular season finale, got Owens back this past week. And Though he didn't do a lot, he carried the ball 13 times, and I believe it was 46 yards he finished up with. You're still able to work him back in a game where you you can afford to give him some carries and let him kind of feel things out before you have a game where you really need him, and that might be this week against Wheeling Central. Now with this win for Ritchie County, they go on to the quarterfinals. They now must adjust to daytime and a struggling, injured Wheeling Central team. Wheeling Central scored in the last minute of their game against Tulsa. To answer a Tulsa score, they come away with a 13-12 to win in one of the state's most talked about Class A games this week. That's a Central team that, from all accounts I've heard, battling injuries, nearly beaten by Tulsa's struggling, so Ritchie County will have them at home on Saturday, and they must adjust to the daytime as well, and if they can win, they very well might have a semifinal matchup with St. Mary's, which might trump the Thanksgiving holiday next weekend, and even the opening of deer season. Hard to believe in some parts of Pleasance and Ritchie Counties. Williamstown had a very quiet, but a strong playoff opener. They won 42 to nothing over Tug Valley. I was talking about this with Garrett Furr on the air last week on Countdown to Kickoff, and I thought Williamstown would have to throw the ball a little bit more. Not because they couldn't run the ball in Tug Valley, but because that was something that Tug Valley hadn't probably seen in abundance this year. Williamstown did throw the ball a little bit. They got two touchdown passes from Braden Modisett, Nick Bondy, and Eric Brown each caught one, but it, all of that came after the game was already 21 to nothing because Ty Moore ran for two touchdowns, Modisett added another in the middle, and this was a 21-0 Williamstown lead at the half, and they threw it a little bit in the second half after that, but give credit to that Williamstown running game, the offensive line for getting it done once again. Ty Moore 151 yards and two rushing scores, so that defense is rounding back into form. This is their fourth shut out of the season. They'll go on the road to play Greenbrier West and like St. Mary's, Williamstown is not afraid to go on the road in the playoffs. Their running game is going to carry them a long way as it often does. The guys up front, that's the most simple and easy and fundamental way to win football games but it works in the playoffs. It works when it's cold and that's why it's tried and true. That's why it's cliche to quote Avenue Q. Cliches are cliches because they're partially based in truth and that one is 100% based in truth. So with the defense is back into form and a program that knows how to prepare young athletes to play on the road in adverse playoff situations Williamstown not afraid to go into Charmco and see what they could do against Greenbrier West this week stay connected with us on Facebook like our page the Eric Little High School Football Podcast while you're there answer our weekly poll question and feel free to share your comments or questions Eric will get to those on a future edition of the show let's take a look at last week's poll question we asked you which of these two class A non-playoff participants do you think would have been more likely to have won a first round playoff game this year had they qualified and why? Either Parkersburg Catholic or Tyler Consolidated. Which of these two Class A non-playoff participants do you think would have been more likely to have won a first-round playoff game this year? They qualified and why? I was, to be honest, quite surprised by the results of this poll. 24 votes in the poll and 71% of the vote went to Tyler Consolidated 29% went to Parkersburg Catholic. I'll read the responses and then I'll chime in. Craig Dutton says, I really like this question. Why well, did you, Craig? That's why I put it in there. Kidding, Craig. They're so very evenly matched, I voted Tyler Consolidated because it's the team I've seen this season, and yes, they did get better as the season progressed, especially defensively. Both teams, I feel, have been suspect at times because each team's performance from week to week varied. Not the same team showed up on certain matchups. That's very true. Parkersburg Catholic Falls right on line with Tyler Consolidated as a potential playoff team, though, considering how tough each team's schedules were this season. And you're right, Craig. We talked about that on the show. Both of these teams lost four games, all of them to playoff participants this season. and a couple of those cases, they were the same playoff participants. Kevin Hartle Road, Craig's partner on WXCR, says, I have to agree with with Craig here having watched Tyler all year and not having the opportunity to see Parkersburg Catholic. It's too bad these schools don't have each other on the schedule. That is a great point, Kevin. I think Parkersburg Catholic and Tyler Consolidated would be a fun matchup, to be quite honest. From my vantage point, Tyler has the edge in overall talent, or maybe I should say team speed, with Mark Rucker, Gage Huffman, and Jaden Helmick to name a few. I'll give you that. I don't know about talent, but definitely speed with those three. When looking at results against the common opponents, the results are very similar, with Tyler having the edge in scoring, mainly because of the 74 against Calhoun County. The one edge that Tyler really has... In in this is that they have had the track record of putting up more points, although Parkersburg Catholic hit in the 60s, and their final game against Webster County this year, Tyler hit 70 twice. I'll be honest, I really thought this would be, at the very least, a little bit more evenly matched. I didn't vote in this poll, but if I did, I would have voted for Parkersburg Catholic, to be quite honest. And it has nothing to do with the talent they do have, or the speed they have, and I think that Kevin's probably right. Tyler, I think, has a speed edge, but it has everything to do with the fact that I've not seen Tyler consolidate a play defense at the consistency that you need to have to win in the postseason. And I think Parkersburg Catholic would be a little bit more physical, and they'd rough you up a little bit more on defense. An edge that Tyler has, as well, that might hurt Catholic. Catholic is depth, because Tyler has more bodies to throw out there, but not many, to be quite honest. You could see Parkersburg Catholic wear down a little bit late in postseason games. It would be tough for Catholic, I think, to squeak out close games in the postseason for that reason. However, I saw more out of what Parkersburg Catholic can do and the way they play defense by and large this season versus how Tyler consolidated play defense. Give me that edge. Give me the defensive edge and an offense that can run the ball and control the clock the way Parkersburg Catholic can, and I'll take their chances any day. I think offensively, to be quite honest, even though Tyler Consolidated has more team speed, I really think both these teams are very close, if not a push, but it's that defensive edge that I want for Parkersburg Catholic, and that's why I would have voted for Parkersburg Catholic in this poll. It's interesting to see why so many of you voted as you did, and I think you also have to look at the fact that I'm sure a lot of people are probably in the same boat as Kevin and Craig. that either followed or had seen more of Tyler Consolidated than they have of Parkersburg Catholic, and it is a shame that those two schools don't play one another, and maybe down the road they're going to be gaps in schedules to allow that to happen. I think that could be a very fun matchup. Would have been a fun matchup this year, to be quite honest, but we didn't get that. I want to thank Craig and Kevin for answering that question, and I want to thank uh, the 24 of you who uh, voted in the poll, and we have another great poll coming for you this week. This week's poll, and you can go ahead and vote on this now. Should West Virginia utilize neutral sites for some or all of the football playoffs, and why? Yes or no? Should West Virginia use neutral sites for some or all of the football playoffs, and why? And I'll be honest, I'll go ahead and throw this out there. I probably should put it in the post, but I'm going to throw this out there. I don't mean the Super 6. I don't mean the state championships. I mean every other round leading up to that. We'll probably talk about this more in depth next week, but Ohio does go to neutral sites after the first round. You can only host one home playoff game, and you can paint the field up as you want. You can do all the normal things you could do at a home game, but you only get one. Then you go on the road and play neutral site games in the postseason. That's just how one state does it. There are other states that do entirely neutral sites, so there's a lot of... To consider it here when it comes to this. So, think about that. We'll put that in next week's poll and we'll get some interesting discussion on that, I'm sure. Before we take a look at this week's action, I want to look back at one thing that happened around the state last week. We talked about how Wheeling Central and Tulsa was the most talked about score on Saturday, and the ending of that game was probably the most talked about ending of any playoff game we saw in the first week. But I don't know, maybe the most talked about game happened in Martinsburg, where Martinsburg defeated Preston 84 to nothing. That was the halftime score. They arrived at that score in the second quarter and went to the half that way, and this has sparked some debate over whether or not we play too many rounds, at least in class AAA in the state playoffs. News and Sentinel Sports Editor Joe Albright wrote a piece about this in the Monday Parkersburg News and Sentinel. The piece was called We Should Be Able to Avoid 84 Nothing in the playoffs and really called out the WVSSAC for allowing this to happen, for letting the playoff field swell to the point to where you have teams in the field that cannot stay within 84 points of the top team in their classification. And I certainly think that there's a lot of validity to that, I want to add my two cents to this. Martinsburg is an outlier, and I think it's tough to make big changes based on a a once-in-a-while thing or a once-every-few-years kind of thing. But what do you do with Martinsburg? You can't put them in a class of their own. If you make four classes in West Virginia, Martinsburg and maybe the top two dozen other big school teams, you still have the same problem with Martinsburg running through a much smaller field of people. Martinsburg is a great program on an epic run, 53 wins in a row, and most of those winds have not even been close. The Eastern Panhandle is notably one of the state's largest growing areas. Spring Mills was basically created from the rib of Martinsburg. It's one of the few areas in the state where we have a school that's opened instead of consolidation, shrinking the number of schools in the state. They pulled a AAA school out of one other AAA school, similar to what happened in the 60s here in Wood County as Parkersburg South was cleaved from Parkersburg, but they managed to pull Spring Mills away from Martinsburg, and that program is to the point now where the playing in the playoffs. Look at the Eastern Panhandle in Class AAA. The Eastern Panhandle puts teams like Martinsburg, Hedgesville, Spring Mills, Musselman in the playoffs. And these are growing areas, and these are areas where there's a lot of football talent, and they've got good teams out there. And if you haven't taken notice of that, you definitely should. But I want to go back to this, because I think the main point that people were making when they were talking out against 84-0 is that it's cruel, and it's unfair. Is it cruel? Yeah, no one wants to lose 84-0. I was talking on Saturday with my college broadcast partner Jake Bunner and I was reading him some of the scores and I read that one and I said what do you even say if you're losing 84-0 at the half and I gave him what I would give what I would do I would go in with some semblance of a, it's not about you know the score on the scoreboard it's about how you finish about how you hold your head at the end of the day I think that's the best that I got to do this is your last game go out and play for pride something like that but still there's no adequate speech for this do we see it coming in some regards yes Preston has not been a good programmer over the years. This might be a one-and-done into the playoffs for them because they won four games over teams with a combined record of 7-33, and and they picked off really one decent opponent this season, and that's what put them in there. They have an upset win over University 20-19 to that not a lot of people expected them to get. Though University was just a three-win team this year. Apparently, that was enough to help them get into the playoffs. Preston lost five games in a row this season. At one point, in late October, they were 1-5 and, and still wound up in the playoffs by winning 3 Three of the last four games. So, if you want to look at that as an argument to where this class in AAA is too bloated, the playoff field is too bloated. Yeah, fine. I I, I certainly get that. But I will say this: for one, I read Dave Walker, the head coach of the Martinsburg Bulldogs, say something along the extent of "You can't account for defensive and special team scores." And you're right. You really can't. If you recover fumble in the end zone, you recover fumble in the end zone. I'm hard-pressed to think that you're going to see guys running over the line of scrimmage and falling down on offense. I don't like that kind of stuff when it happens in football either, when you know, teams are punting on second down and or whatever, and playing in ways that are, are antithetical to the game of football or to any athletic contest at that point. That doesn't do anything to advance kids' morale, sense of self-esteem, psyche, nothing like that. I know an 84-point loss doesn't either, but at least you'll have completed a game at that point or, or some semblance of a contest. I think the bigger culprit here is that the fact that the WVSSAC allowed Class AAA, or any class for that matter, to diminish below 30 teams. And I know that we're running out of schools in this state, and people want to make four classes, and in basketball that might make sense, but in football there's no place for it, to be honest. In basketball, when you allow teams to pick and choose if they want to play up, and many of them will when that starts here next season, then I think you're going to have four solid classes and some competitive championships in those classes. But in football, when you've got fewer schools to play, to me when you get got 16 teams making it and less than 30 to pick from, you're going to get some matchups like this. You're going to get some 16 seeds and some 15 or maybe even a couple 14 seeds that have no business being in the postseason to begin with. So either one of two things needs to happen. You either have to accept that this is how it's going to be if you're going to leave the playoff field at 16, or you have to deepen the pool in the first place. We all know there are a few class AA schools and a few who come from cities that are probably big enough to make those schools close to being AAA schools that could compete in the class AAA level. I know a lot of people want to stay away from Martinsburg at the top end of Class AA. On the bottom end of Class AA, you want to stay away from the Wheeling Centrals of the world. I get that. And I'll use an argument that I kept hearing at the small school level when Wheeling Central was dominating Class A. And there were a lot of prominent people in state media that were saying this, too. The answer to beat Wheeling Central is to get better. And that's what a lot of teams went out and did. Wheeling Central was winning Class A more often than not, but they hadn't always dominated Class A, and they are not dominating Class A right now, to be honest. There are years where Wheeling Central... Will pounce on other teams' mistakes and win championships in years where maybe they're not the best team. They've weathered injuries and they survive adversity more than most other programs can and do, but they're beatable. They're beatable this year. They're beatable a lot of years. I know Huntington St. Jones and basketball gets a lot of flack because they bring in some players that are Division I athletes and multiple Division I athletes on a Class A schedule. You're going to win a lot of games that way. But by and large, in many of these sports where you are competitive and you can still stay competitive, the answer is quite simply just to get better. And I'm not saying it would happen overnight for Preston, but if Preston wants to not lose by 84 points to Martinsburg, get better and do better next year. Let that be your driving motivation. We're in a culture that gets obsessed with participation trophies and, and handing out participation trophies, and I feel like we're split 50-50 in a lot of this. There's people that either want to see that completely go away, or you want to see tough contests no matter how tough it is, and nothing done to level the playing field and I think it's another example of how in our society today sometimes there's not a lot of account for nuance this is somewhat of a nuanced situation I think some things can be done to level the playing field notably deep in that AAA pool and we're going to get there soon we're going to have reclassification soon and I would hope that the pool's not going to stand at 28 football playing teams in class AAA because we've seen now what happens when that pool is allowed to diminish to that level but I think sometimes the situation is what it is let's be honest, there are a lot of teams a lot higher up the bracket than number 16 that wouldn't do much better against Martinsburg than when Preston did. So, it's a tough situation. You know How do do you account for the fact that one team is vastly better, one coach and Dave Walker has a lot more to draw from and has put together a good program, for one. There's just not a lot of ways to account for that other than to have everybody else in the state rise to that level the best they can and get better. There are things that you can do. It's not easy work to do. It's not overnight work. But dynasties eventually end. They eventually come crumbling down and somebody has to be waiting in the wings and there is opportunity when that happens. I'm not saying with Martinsburg it's going to happen anytime soon, but their run will be done one day too. And then what? And then someone else will rise up and take their spot atop Class AAA. So I think any calls to reduce the field in Class AAA are premature. This is a short-term problem that can be given a long-term fix, but it's not reducing the playoff field. Last year in one of these episodes, I asked, is it better to make the field as a 16 seed and have the experience of playing the playoffs than to not make it at all. And the majority of the people polled said, yes, it was better to make the field and get your clock cleaned in the first round if that's what it meant as opposed to not going at all because you get another week around your teammates. You get another week of practice. There are things you can do to prepare for next season with that week. You've got some momentum going into next season. You can print some t-shirts. The school can make a little bit of money. Hard to stop labeling the ways where it's at least a good thing. You've got that school spirit and some morale over a playoff appearance for one more week. For some teams, just getting into that field of 16 is the accomplishment itself. After a long season, regardless of getting their clocks cleaned, I will say this, those young men from Preston will have a story to tell the rest of their lives, and probably will tell it the rest of their lives, and they'll learn from the experience, and they'll learn from the experience that life isn't always fair, and that sometimes in life, it's about how you handle a situation and not the end result or the outcome of that situation. That's what makes you a winner off the football field. You only play high school sports for a short amount of time, and you're in training at that age to learn how to be good, productive adults and people that can work with other people and cooperate with other people. And sometimes that means being in some bad situations and learning how to handle yourself and handle adversity in those bad situations. Those are the true winners. The true winners, to me, are not necessarily the people who go out and put up a ton of points on the scoreboard and have the best record at the end of the season or the end of the day. To me, the winners are anybody that can handle adversity and rise up and overcome. And hopefully that's what Princeton does. Hopefully they learn the positive lessons in this. And hopefully they don't get too beaten down by a loss that, I'll be honest, will beat down some people. But if they hang in there, I think the life lessons that they can take from this are much greater than any football win might ever be. Not a lot of games left in the state, so let's go ahead and run down the entire schedule in Class AAA. Friday, it's number seven George Washington at number two Cabell Midland, and number eleven Capital at number three Spring Valley. And then Saturday afternoon, it's Parkersburg South, at number four seed, hosting number five Musselman and number one Martinsburg against number nine Spring Mills. Spring Mills Martinsburg gets a rematch of a regular season matchup. Martinsburg is probably going to roll in that one. Cabell Midland George Washington will be tough because George Washington has given good teams tough games this season, and I think Cabell Midland wins that one, but it's close. Spring Valley against Capital. Capital is a surprise team. I heard their head coach, John Carpenter, on high school game night this week, and he really feels that team is coming together at the right time. That score surprised me maybe more than a lot of others in the state. I won't say more than any other, but it surprised me more than most, because I really thought Wheeling Park, if you can call a six-seed a dark horse, I thought Wheeling Park was a dark horse to win the state championship this season, because they were loaded offensively, they had four good receivers, adequate running game to above average running game, I'll say, and one of the best quarterbacks in the state and still were upset at home in the first round of the playoffs to this capital team is coming together so I think they gained a lot of confidence from that win and I think they give Spring Valley a game if they can adjust to Spring Valley's pace on Friday and then our handicap Musselman and Parkersburg South I hate handicapping games that I'm calling the Parkersburg South's offense it'll be interesting to see what they can do against a Musselman defense that allowed Bryson Singer to run rough shot all over them last week that's what Brandon Penn does that's what Devin Gaines can do and oh by the way Penn has a lot more off Weapons through the air than PHS had at their disposal last week. Musselman's got a lot to stop; they'll have their hands full. Fairmont Senior and Frankfurt. Fairmont Senior's number one team. Frankfurt State. That's a 7:30 Friday kick in Class AA. The other AA kick that's Friday night is number four Bluefield hosting number five Kaiser. Then Saturday afternoon it is number ten Mango Central at number two Bridgeport and number six Oak Glen at number three Polka. Fairmont Senior had their hands full against number sixteen Winfield last week. They're battling some injuries. I'm not sure they're going to make it to the Super Six. If they do, then credit Nick Barnick, the head coach at the poll. Bears because that will probably be an accomplishment of itself as dinged up as reports say they are. I'm not saying that it'll be Frankfurt to pick them off but they're ripe to be picked off prior to the Super 6. Bridgeport is a solid team. They always are as is Mingo Central coming in at a little bit of a lower seed than they usually do. I think this will just be a classic matchup of tough Southern football Cardinal Conference football versus football in the middle of West Virginia and a program in Bridgeport that always brings it year in and year out. Kaiser making the long trip to Bluefield. Kaiser gets stuck with so many long trips in the playoffs, partially because of who they draw and partially because of where they are. Then making that trip to Bluefield, not going to be an easy night at Mitchell Stadium. They'll have their hands full. We'll see what happens with Kaiser. The one that's perhaps most intriguing in Class AA is Number 6 Oak Glen against Number 3 Polka. Oak Glen's probably fought that whole battle all year of, so they're good but they haven't played anybody. Well, now they're going to get a shot against Number 3 Polka in a quarterfinal matchup. And I said it last week, either on this show or on Countdown to Kickoff, I firmly believe that to win a state championship or even to get to a state championship, you have to beat somebody good. You're going to beat somebody good to get there and and for Oak Glen, the time is now or never. In Class A, Friday night game is only one. Number five, Williamstown at number four, Greenbrier West. The Saturday afternoon games, one thirty kicks. Number one, Doddridge County against number eight East Hardy. Number two, Ritchie County, hosting number ten Wheeling Central, and number six St. Mary's at number three Pendleton County. I think Doddridge County rolls again this week. It's going to take a much better offense than what East Hardy will have to test that defense. Looking to that possibility of a matchup with Williamstown in the semifinals. Williamstown will not be afraid to go into Charmco and uh, do their best against Greenbrier West, a team that I'm not sure has really been tested this year the way Williamstown has, so that's going to be what makes that battle interesting. St. Mary's against Pendleton County. Which Pendleton County team will we see? Will we see the one that Parkersburg Catholic could have beat on a neutral field, or the one that lost 35-0 to Moorfield, or will we see the team that turned things around two weeks later and flipped the script on Moorfield and knocked them out of the playoffs? And for St. Mary's, their veteran leadership is going to have to step up and keep their poise and uh, their running game at a high level on the road in the semifinal. Basically, if they win, they could be coming right back home, essentially, one way or another, because if St. Mary's wins, they're not going to have to go very far the rest of the way. If they win, they're looking at a semifinal either at home against Wheeling Central or in Ellenboro. So you have to like your odds there for St. Mary's. Wheeling Central and Ritchie County, I think this is the week where Wheeling Central's injuries just become too much. Uh, this is a Ritchie County team that I think in athletics is like where St. Mary's was at the end of the 2000s going to the 2010s, where it seemed like every year they ran against Wheeling Central, and every year Wheeling Central got the the better of them it was that way for them in baseball last year. I know, and I think this might be the time where Ritchie County rises up and picks off the Maroon Knights. I'd like to see Ritchie County and St. Mary's in that semifinal. That would be a lot of fun, and uh, we'll see if that happens. On Seven Ranges Radio, you can find the St. Mary's Pendleton game on Light Rock 93R, B 96.9 as Parker'sburg South Musselman and WXCR as Ritchie County at Wheeling Central. Note those are all Saturday games this week. We don't have anything on Friday except for Metro News High School Game Night on the stations of Seven Ranges Radio. All our kickoffs are Saturday. Saturday, St. Mary's Pendleton on Light Rock 93R, South Musselman on V96.9, and Richie Wheeling Central on WXCR. Coverage on all three stations begins with Countdown to Kickoff at noon. We're live at 1 o'clock with the kicks at 30 on those respective stations. Download us on iTunes. Rate us, write us, review us, subscribe to us. Tell your friends to do the same as well. You can also listen to us on SoundCloud each week. We'll come back next week and talk more. It's the semi-final episode of the Eric Little High School Football Podcast, so lots of reactions to poll questions and reactions to things that Happened last week in the state, and it should be a fun one with plenty to talk about. Until then, my name is Eric Little. Thank you for joining us once again this week, and enjoy the games, everybody. This has been the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. Don't forget to like us on Facebook and vote in our weekly poll. Come back next week for another new episode, and thanks for listening.